You are listening to the Living Truth Podcast with John Poor and C.L. Mitchell. Please stay tuned to Living Truth as we engage in an in-depth journey of discovery through the discussion of God's Word for the purpose of devotion and godly living. We pray that you would be blessed through today's conversation and that God would sanctify your heart in truth, for His Word is truth. Good afternoon. Welcome to Living Truth. This is John Core and the Reverend C.L. Mitchell coming to you from Phoenix, Arizona. We are so glad that you're able to join us today. We are hoping and praying that you are having a wonderful day. And uh, I don't know about you, but where we are right now in Phoenix, it is extremely hot. And uh, we are uh, breaking records or getting close to breaking records. So uh, blessings to you. Uh, this is your first time listening in. Um, we are two friends that love to talk about the scripture. We have our Bibles open and a drink of coffee or tea or water nearby. And we are in a relaxed setting. And we are listening or actually imagining that you are listening in as a friend of ours. And so we want to welcome you. Uh, anyway, uh, CL, it's good to see you, brother. It's wonderful to see you and it's good to be back it's, at it. It is. It's been a while um, since we recorded. Uh, we Recorded around Easter time, and it took some time off because of our schedules. So it's really good, and I'm looking forward to what God is going to do uh, through us today. And uh, we know we have a lot of listeners around the world, people we've never met before. We want to say hello. Yes. We are appreciative of your listenership, and we are praying for you as well. And uh, we pray that God touches you and speaks to you today. And so we have been going through the book of Jonah, and this is actually part six in our Jonah series. Who knows how long this will take because some of us go very slow. <laughs> some. <laughs> some of us, somebody that won't be, won't be mentioned or named, but we think we know who, who, who he is. That disciple did love the, the book of Jonah. <laughs> Yeah, he, he would have said, Lord, we will paddle all the way to Tarshish if we have to, or wherever we're going. Anyway, so this is part six. We are still in chapter one. And so since it's been a while, I'd like to give a little overview. And uh, Jonah is obviously, a, he's a prophet of God. The book actually is considered, is, is a, he's a minor prophet, not because of his role, but because the length of the book is so short. Um, but Jonah is told to go to the Ninevites, which were part of the Assyrians. That was a, a city in, in, in Assyria. And he is told to go there to preach the warning, and Jonah decides to go the opposite direction. Okay, so let me just start off with reading the first few verses. It says in verse 1 of chapter 1 of Jonah, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa found a ship that was going to Tarshish and paid the fare. And he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors came, became afraid, and every man cried to his God, and they threw the cargo which was in the ship uh, into the sea to lighten it for them. But... Um, but Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, laying down, and had fallen fast asleep. So the captain uh, approached him and said, How is it that you are sleeping? Get up, call on your God. 
Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. And each man said to his mate, Come, let us cast lots so that we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men became extremely frightened, and they said to him, How could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So they said to him, What should we do that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on account of me that this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rowed desperately to return to land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. Then they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life, and do not put innocent blood on us, for thou, O Lord, has done as thou has pleased. And then they picked him up and they threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped raging. We're going to stop there. That's the end of the scene. And uh, actually, uh, the sea, uh, the, the next verse talks about how they feared, and we'll, I'm not sure if we'll get there. But anyway, Jonah decides to flee. Uh, from the presence of the Lord, and in one sense, he he might have thought he was, you know, gonna get get away with it. You know, he buys the ticket to to Tarshish. Maybe he he uh, commissions the whole boat, uh, but it seems like he doesn't get very far before God decides to uh, make things a little rocky for him, so to speak. And uh, so we're gonna be in, we're gonna start in verse five, and I think uh, maybe you know we can. Uh, talk about it and see what the Lord does. So Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm very impressed, John, as, as we look at verse 5, because um, first of all, this particular verse highlights uh, who these individuals are on this boat with Jonah. Now, it's important culturally yeah. just to mention, as you are aware, that these are not massive boats like we have today. No, it's not like the big, huge freighters that maybe transport cargo and things like that. Right. These are much smaller boats made of wood, and they, of course, may have various areas on the boat. Right. But this is a smaller boat, and it's going to particularly be sensitive to a massive storm. Right. But the second thing that really should be noted in this verse is these are professional sailors. Right. That's And that's the thing is, is right off the bat, they're afraid. I mean, they're so afraid they're crying out to their gods. Absolutely, and this fi- this this fear that they have, this 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 fear, should be more so characterized as a terror. This is the vocation of these men, and whatever is happening on this sea at the hand of God yeah. is literally putting these professionals in an arena of terror, where they are almost in a state of of um um paralysis and fear for their lives. Well, it's it's interesting because there's a link between them becoming afraid and them becoming afraid to the point that they're crying out to their God. Absolutely. I mean, there's one thing to, you know, these are seasoned sailors, that's the profession. They probably, maybe they travel this route constantly, you know, back and forth between Joppa and Tarshish, who knows. But to be afraid to the point where they're they're praying 
there has to be something significant in that, just that link right there, the fear that gets the attention where they're now they're praying, they're on their knees, crying Abs- out. Absolutely. Before we hone in on the details, um, I want to I want to take a broader perspective here. That's surprising because I thought you were all about the details, brother. I, I am. I, <laughs> but I like to I like to to look at the analysis, but also right. the synthesis, right? The the big right. picture, and and here's a big picture. Um, what Jonah is doing is not a mistake; it's a sin. Right. It's a sin against God. But the the question here that you would want to ask is Keep going. Who's okay? <laughs> I'm just looking away. Okay. That's, that's okay. <laughs> the, the question that one would want to ask is who's being affected by this sin? And I think a, a big picture here that we should be aware of is that that no person um, who is committing sin is affecting him or herself alone. That's a good point. I think, uh, was it the English poet, John Donne? No man is an island unto himself. You know, it's... Here's the thing, is Jonah knows what he's doing. He is being deliberate on his actions. It's one thing where, you know, maybe you don't realize, and then also you go into choppy waters. Oh, gee whiz, you know, but he knows... He, he knows the command of God. It's the one thing to maybe not be certain. You know, you got Gideon in the scriptures in, in the book of Judges. Okay, God, is this really you calling me to do this, right? You know, or Moses, the same thing. How do I know? You know, um, that's different than Jonah knows. He's already a prophet of God. We know we've talked about this in the past episodes where he was already as established as a prophet of God. And so now this is a deliber- deliberate act. This is you know, cosmic treason or something like that. You know, it's just deliberate sin. Yeah, it it really is a deliberate sin. And I think it's important to step back on the bigger picture and and just suggest that if an individual is engaged in sin, it might be something because in the narrative, we have no reason to believe that Jonah has as yet divulged this to the people that he's with. No. So it's a very privatized thing in his own heart. He's cognizant of it. God is cognizant of it. But these men who can't, of course, be looked at as innocent by standards, right? But they are somewhat innocent in this circumstance because they don't know who they're carrying and what he's running from and yeah. who he's running from, right? But you know, it's interesting, and I know we don't want to get the details yet, but I'm, I'm a detail <clears throat> person, so sorry. You can't, I can't help but look at their connection to, to seeing the circumstance they're in, the storm they're in, and the connection with praying to a God, and then later on they're going to find out now, whose fault is this? Now, me, that's jumping ahead, but they're realizing that there's something, there's something amiss to this. Something is definitely something's awry. Something's wrong. You know, there's something to the point where the storm, the way it is, their fear, and then the point where, like, whose fault is this? Um, yes, they're not going to understand why yet. They'll, we'll see the later verses, but it's something that gets their attention. You know, the storm has gotten their attention, and they don't know why it's happening to them. You know. Absolutely. It's it's quite abnormal as it's presented in the narrative. This is this is anything but casual and usual. Right. Again, I want to highlight these are professional sailors, so they are not um um they don't have a lack of familiarity with storms. Right. They don't even have a lack of familiarity with with major storms, but the way that the pretext, the verses before yeah. articulate this, it's God 
threw or hurled or flung. Right. The, the very verb suggests a level of intense force. Right. And so whatever the force is that they're experiencing, it's quite abnormal to them and it's creating a fear. And, and this is what I want to suggest, John. <laughs> I want to suggest that um, the Bible is very true. Your sin will find you out yeah. and no sin is going to remain privatized. What is done in the dark will be revealed in the light. And these individuals are walking under circumstances with an individual who knows that he is a disobeying God and he alone is not kind of uh, sequestered by God and, and, and singled out and the storm is only over his head and these individuals are sitting there saying, wow, I wonder why that guy's life is stormy. It should be common knowledge to people that when you're involved in sin, it's going to affect your marriage. It's going yeah. to affect your parenting. It's going to affect your workplace. Sin is a cancer that will not remain in one arena of the body. And just to point out something related to that is sometimes people maybe go through hard times and they think, and I know this, this is something happens to me. I'm like, well, what have I, what did I do to deserve this? Right. And you try to fi figure out the area Usually, it's not vague, right? If if there's sin involved, God's very crystal clear. You know, He's going to communicate it to you. In Jonah's case, He obviously knows what He's doing. He is. He knows that He's running away. These men, though, is, what's interesting is what causes these seasoned sailors to be afraid, right? Something significant about the storm. Maybe maybe the timing of the storm. Right. Okay. You know, they maybe. Um, just the way the intensity of the storm what is where they're now they're to the point where they're so afraid that they want to to pray to 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 their gods they don't know you know Yahweh yet or the the Lord yet what 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 as I'm reading this you know what gets your attention basically they're 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 they have attention to the point where where something's got their attention the storm has got their attention and my question is what causes you know people what causes us to pray you know sometimes you know, do, is it always because of bad things? You know, bad things happen, then we start going to church, you know, or we hit the knees, you know. Um, you know, you, you know, when tragedy happens, a lot of times that's when people actually start praying. And we don't, you know, I don't think that's always when it should be, but there are things that God will use. Here's a, a runaway prophet that God's still going to use to reach these, these own sailors. Charles Hatton Spurgeon once said, God whispers to us in our moments of delight but he shouts to us in our moments of pain. That's right. And and his argument was that we have a tendency to hear ever more clearly the voice of God. Not that he was speaking differently, right? but that during our moments of discomfort, we hear him differently. But you know what's interesting? His mission is to go, is to send a, a message to Nineveh, right? To, to have them turn to God. But inadvertently, because of his disobedience, he is now inadvertently going to lead these people to know Yahweh himself as well, because you'll get that later on the verses as they, they cry out to God himself, which is significant, you know, God using this man Jonah in, in despite, his, despite his sin, he's still using him to reach people. Absolutely. And, and, and the experience that's in this verse is not a single man's experience. It's a shared experience, but the experience is happening on multiple levels, right? And so what is going to literally introduce these sailors to I am and what is going to bring them into at least a conviction, um, and it's questionable whether or not it became a salvific experience for them at the end, but at least we know that they did sacrifice to right. I am. And, and But I just to interject, I like to think of it as maybe an introduction into Yahweh, and perhaps that led to a lifelong commitment. We don't know. This text is yes. silent. 
but um, my point, I guess, was because of Jonah's disobedience, God still used that Absolutely. You know, inadvertent thing. But he the uses whole, him in spite of himself. Right. So, so these men are afraid. They're crying out to their gods, and they start throwing. You know, you picture the scene. They're starting to throw stuff overboard. You know, you're, you're when you get to the point where you're <laughs> you're just you know you're just throwing stuff overboard, just hoping that maybe the ship would come lighter. Maybe it's still in shallow waters, which seems to indicate it probably was, because if it's in shallower waters, and you let uh, lighten up the load of the ship, your the ship is not. Uh, it's, it's going to be more buoyant, more buoyant, and not as as deeper into the water as 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 um, as if they were out uh, further in. So that te- it tells me that uh, perhaps this storm comes a lot quicker than than you know. He's not like three days or three hours. Maybe he's within you know a short period of time where God sends a storm into the sea and and. Uh, yeah, I think it's 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 particularly um, um, intriguing that that each man cries out to his God. Now, now, what I think is important here as a backdrop is in the ancient Near East, particularly at this particular time, within the framework of the cultures, right? Because yeah. we're dealing with sailors who are mariners, but who are Gentiles. That is, they are non-covenant Israelis, nor do they have, um, nor are they. Um, right. um, um, uh, proselytes right, to right, Yahwehism, right, right, right to, yeah. to the covenant people of God. And then you have this Jewish covenant prophet who's somewhere in this boat resting, right? So, so you have these individuals, and in the ancient Near East, particularly in non-Israeli speak, it was thought that each person had a certain tier of gods, right. um, um, and they had gods for various things in their lives, right. multiple gods. That's yeah. going to be alluded to yeah. later on in this text. But for now, what is being referred to is that personal deity that one subscribed to, and that deity's protection over that particular individual. Right. Now, there is a comparison that's being made in the backdrop. Right. The idea is there already crying to their gods and none of their gods are having any effect on this storm. So the idea is, okay, so let's see whose God maybe will have an effect or who has irritated or agitated their personal God here. Well, in in one sense, yeah, and they're they're looking for, obviously, nothing's working, which means, okay, none of us are at fault, which we'll see later on. You got to give them, you know, credence to the fact that they're at least getting the religion right now. You know, they're, they're praying, you know, here... They don't know. First of all, they don't know who Jonah is. They, you know, he's he's down he's down below in the ship sleeping. You know, um, they don't know his history. All they know is they're in trouble. We got to find out what's going on. They're at least open to praying. They're 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 at least vocal about needing help. They recognize we're in a bad situation. We need some help. What's interesting in the text here in verse five. It says that they were crying out uh, to their God, and they were throwing the cargo overboard. And then it says, but Jonah had gone below. And the, the Hebrew seems to indicate that almost simultaneously, or, or almost, um, meanwhile, this is happening, Jonah went down below. It's almost like there's a contrast. And it's like, uh, and the contrast is, is uh, between their actions and Jonah's actions. They're praying, they're desperate, Jonah goes down below and falls asleep, you know. And uh, and the, this this how could this person even you know he's checking out of life so to speak. Um, Jonah goes down below into the hold of the ship and lay down and fallen sound asleep. Now we'll talk about that that word as in a second, but the contrast is very significant. 
here the sailors know how can Jonah ignore the the tussling of the the waves, the crackling of the ship, the the ropes going back and forth, the men scurrying around. You know, you can imagine the scene, right? And it's as if Jonah is in his own little world, oblivious to all this. He's choosing he's choosing to just go and just he is he is checked out of life, and he's oblivious to what's going on around him. This is a huge. I'm just a. It's just like Jonah. How could you even? do this yeah with him with him resting in the text is uh or are rather a few um uh, noticeable things that uh kind of put the reader uh on an alert as it were um first of all when they are afraid um uh, to see the terror in these men's eyes when this is their vocation should have uh, ensued some concern on his right. behalf secondarily if you're looking at the verse here um, um they're not only afraid but they're crying this word for crying is this kind of desperate yelling of an intense nature yeah. with 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 fear of destruction as its end right? right so these men are not wimps they're sailors right. and and they are sitting here fearful for their life and saying, hey, let's cry out and call out to any God that'll work at this point. So so what does it tell you? I mean, just we're, and I don't want to pick on Jonah because, um, I mean, he is the character of the story. What kind of person does this where the needs of others, even they, because you're on the boat too. You know, you're Jonah, you're on the boat too. You're affected as well. But the needs of others aren't entering your mind. You're so self-consumed with yourself, with your own plans, with your own preservation, or with your own whatever it is, you know, and you have people all around you who are desperate and in a scary situation, that they don't want to die, and they're like, we need help, we need help, and you've checked out. Where is, what, how, what brings, a, what leads a person to the, be so self-focused that the needs and lives of others are just completely, you don't hear that, you know? That's the state Jonah is. Jonah is going to be in a... In, now, obviously, Jonah is going to be still used by God, which is the grace of God, that God doesn't give up on the man. But even here and throughout the rest of the Jonah, he would rather die than do the mission that God sends him on. He would rather die than care about the people who are dying around him. How did this guy even get voted to be a prophet by God, you know? That's grace, is That's it grace. Not? But, that is but, grace. But it is important to, to realize when the view in my front view mirror is grants to me a greater, more looming picture of myself than my God, I will then lose focus, awareness, and consideration of anyone who's riding in the back seat. Yeah. Right? Because um, um, where I'm going is not toward the will of God. I'm going in the direction of of meism, where this picture leads, what I want, what I desire. And if that's the case, everybody in the back seat is along for the ride. Yeah. Right? And and this is clearly this man, this prophet's uh, um, goal at this point. This is not what I want to do. Now, he has his own reasons, and those reasons are birthed from a rich history of pain from seeing the abuse of, uh, and grotesque abuse, might I ask, right. of, of the Ninevites, the, the Assyrians at this particular point. However, um, um, that still does not give him an excuse for his activity. No, but you think about this. Is there somebody in, in your life, if God said, I want you to show them love, you would have second thoughts of? 
doing that because of how terrible this person has been. You know, um, there's there's things that maybe and Jonah was maybe Jonah wasn't affected directly by the Assyrians. He just you know his people were and things like that. But let's say let's bring it down to like our our lifetime today. There may be people that God has a, that have hurt you or have done terrible things and God says to you, I want you to pray for that person. I want you to to love that person. Doesn't mean you have to let them back in your life and, and then be your best friend, but I want to use you to impact that person. There may be there's people I know right personally, there's people I would have second, third thoughts about doing that. And I you know, and I know God's command. It's significant that we can look at Jonah and say, Oh, Jonah, you're bad, 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 right? Well, put ourselves in Jonah's shoes, you know, and 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 put ourselves maybe in the experiences of some people who have suffered. Um, you could see you could see perhaps um, that we're not very far removed from Jonah, you know. True. That a lot of times we are we are often Jonah-ish in a lot of our. There's people dying all over the place. There's people dying going to hell without knowing Jesus. And they're on a boat too, and they're sinking, and they're asking for help. And we, meanwhile, we sleep, and we don't want to share the gospel. With them. Or, or we become quite succinct in our theological venture to to know the scope or the limit that God would have us go to. Right? Yeah. In, in the words of Peter, "Okay, Lord, so I know we're supposed to have a giving, a forgiving disposition. So how many times should right. I forgive an individual? Now, right? Yeah. Please say seven, because that's all. My, my that's my limit." Right. Right. And the antithesis of this Jonah um, tendency and the Peter tendency is Jesus' first words on the cross. Yeah. Father, forgive forgive them for they know not what they do. And Christian forgiveness is at odds with human um, grudges. Right. Right. And, And our propensity, our proclivity to want to hold things against people, Um, not realizing that we ourselves are recipients of tremendous grace. And and we need that at every hour. I I, I look at this verse, John, and so you have this shared experience here. We do have more than one verse to cover. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. So so you have every man crying out to his own deity, basically, and they're trying to encourage, which is quite ironic, because from verse one through this verse thus far, we should be very aware of something, that God has talked to Jonah, but Jonah has not spoken to God. Jonah hasn't spoken one time yet. Oh, no, no. He's not interested in speaking to God. Mm -hmm. Now, of of course, as you said, there's great economy in this passage. um, And so he, of course, would have made whatever vocal connection was necessary to to commandeer the mariners and the ship. But in the context, uh, he hasn't spoken yet. Uh, So if you look at this verse, there is a few ironies that really get you. Like, for instance, so they throw the cargo, which was in the ship subsequently as a result of the storm and and what's happening um they throw it into the sea now the word for throwing it into the sea 
is used here as a literary device, and even though the translation is different, it's the same word yes. as God flinging or throwing the storm at the sailors. Yeah. So as a result of his throwing the storm at this boat to, to get the attention of the prophet, they in turn throw out the cargo. Now, yeah. this irony is kind of laughable to begin with. It, it, it's kind of humorous because he's getting ready to go on what is an elongated trip. Okay? Right. And and they're going to need, and remember, this boat is not massive. So they're going to need all of this cargo for, for their journey. And the irony is God is in this particular scene, in this, in this phrase, suggesting in the background, you're not going to make it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting, the, the sort of the, the parallelism that's used in this first chapter between God and Jonah. There's a battle, so to speak. You know, God speaks, Jonah flees, right? You know, get up, and he goes away. And then God throws the the storm, Jonah goes down to the bottom. It's like there's this opposite, but of course, God's going to win. We know that. Absolutely. And Jonah knows that. Um, there's this battle, there's this fight, you know, and and I, I'm thinking about when you're fighting against God, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, are you when when you fight against God, <laughs> you know, um, you're you're not going to win. But you're you're God is still God. Well, in the words of the playwright and a poet James Weldon Johnson, your arms are too short yeah. to box with God. Yeah, that's well, think just... about that. But there are people who are fighting against God right now. Absolutely, they have checked out in their life. They decided just to. Just to go to sleep, you know, so to speak. Um, but they're fighting. They are. They think that they they believe that God is against them, or God is God in for them, and that they're battling against God's will for their lives. And they are trying to to flee from God's presence, and they're trying to fight against God. And this phrase would argue that the the throwing of the items overboard yeah. in order to arrive at buoyancy, which is another a kind of humorous aspect of of the text that I'll point out in a moment. But it argues from God's perspective, hey Jonah, trip is over. Yeah, uh, uh, the journey stops here. Yeah, you're going nowhere. And I think that. Um, uh, what what people need to know who are in a who are in a sprint or in a marathon away from God and both some are trying to go really fast and some are just have for years been trying to go away from God. It, you can spend a long time going nowhere. Yeah, you, you're on a leash, yeah. and you may feel yourself uh, engaged in in tedious efforts to to run away. But if you look at your life, God has officially parked you. Yeah, you know what's interesting is is from the first reading of the text is, is they threw the cargo overboard in, uh, into the sea. The first thinking is oh to make the ship lighter, mm-hmm. but the Hebrew seems to indicate that they're throwing the cargo into the sea to appease the sea gods. Yes. Okay, the Canaanite sea god Yam or whatever his name is, maybe eight yams for breakfast <laughs> or something. But they are trying to please appease their gods. They're thinking maybe the sea god is angry at them, and it doesn't work. It doesn't work for lightening up the ship for, okay, God sends a storm, and so you're going to try to make the storm a little more comfortable to ride through. It doesn't make it any more comfortable, and it doesn't stop the storm either. Correct. You're still fighting against God. You're still you're still running uh, away from God, and God is not letting you go very far away from him. Um, 
it tells you the concern of God for Jonah, the fact that he cares enough to send the storm to stop him sort of in his tracks and say, whoa, no, 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 <laughs> this is not going to happen. And you can be resistant and you can be, you can be stubborn and you're not going to get very far at all. It's not going to work because you're dealing again. You're, you're facing off against God. At some point, this, it's, there's madness to think that you're going to win against God. And God has bigger plans. You know, his God, God is not out to get you, so to speak. He doesn't, throw, he, he doesn't throw the storm at them to drown or kill Jonah. No. It's to stop Jonah. It's to prevent Jonah from getting any further because God has... It's almost like there's a wall. It's like there's a, a barrier that God says, No, thus far you shall not go. Because I have bigger plans for you. So anyway, let's go on to the next the next verse because of, of time. I know you want to talk about the sound sleep thing, but well, let's wake him j- up. Just <laughs> before you get to that verse, I just I just want to mention this because I think it really is critical to this verse, and I'll just mention the irony of it. Yeah. While they're throwing out things to lighten the boat, as the text says, and also, as you said, a secondary reason in all probability it, to appease the God of the sea and their thinking. Yeah. The text deliberately within that framework suggests that Jonah goes below, right? Yeah. And in going below, it's this word yarad. He's yes. going down. Yes. So there's this literary um, uh, play of terms that yes. the author is using to suggest Jonah is going down. Yeah. Like this is not going up. This is not improving. This is ste- a steady decline, right? But in this steady decline, he goes into the bottom of the ship and he falls asleep. Now, here's, here's the, another irony. The heaviest thing in that boat at that moment was not the cargo. And the thing that would have appeased God, not the God of the sea as they were thinking, but appeased God was Jonah. And I think that the application of that is very important, that when life is trying to go forward in this particular narrative and scene, the heaviest thing in this boat will always be a person or an individual who believes that he or she can continue in their disobedience to God and his commands. You know, I just had a thought before we go on to the next verse. Um, It's a question. Because cause Jonah, we, we look at Jonah, he's, he's, he's checked out, you know. I mean, you can go onto a boat and there's a, there's a storm and you're ignoring all of the cries for help. What causes people to check out? Hmm. You know, there's people in life that decide they just, they, something's happened, something's going on inside their brain, inside their heart, where they just have, they've checked out. They've given up, you know. Uh, they would rather just let life happen and them they would rather die and they just Jonah is in that state I think depression or whatever it is he's checked out disobedience disobedience yes um, but sometimes you know when people you know experience things in life and they are maybe God has allowed circumstances in their life that they didn't agree with or didn't want maybe that's tragedy you know or sickness or death or somebody that a loved one and that has caused that has that has rattled them and that has it has caused them to check out i'm god i'm done i'm done with you you know and life has not been smooth sailing for you since you've checked not checked out you know checking out is not the answer life uh, god is not letting you go too far because he cares for you because he has he has plans for you he has a hope for you and there's a there's a heart to heart that has to happen between you and God, you know where where yeah, maybe the tragedies that that He has allowed you're angry at God for, 
and you're mad at God for that. And God is not letting you go, though, because he has, he has healing for you. He has hope for you. He has love for you. He has plans for you. You're fighting against God, and you're not going to win. And so life's at a standstill until, until there's a breaking point where you say, Okay, God, I, 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 I want to do your will. I want to I trust you. Um, I don't know who that's, who that's meant for, but, but God sees you. Uh, the sailors may not have realized where Jonah was at and hold the boat, but God knew where he was at. People may not realize where you're at. You may, in your own life, be like Jonah, and you're trapped. You're in the hold of a boat. You're in the bottom of the boat. You're checked out, maybe mentally, spiritually, whatever. And nobody knows that but you and God. And God says, I know where you're at. I see you. I'm not letting go. I have, I have, I have healing for you. But it's got to go my way, not your way. May I just dovetail on that in the slightest manner with the very last portion of what you suggested, John? And that is, so let's say that you are checked out. You'll never get to check back in, continuing the same kind of behavior that forced you to run. Namely, you can't check in when you're checked out on God. Yeah. Um, um, for Jonah to get back into this game, God is unavoidable. For you to get back into the game in the manner in which you are intended and purposed by God too, you're going to have to deal with God first before you deal with the rest of life. He is the unavoidable common denominator of all of life. And just because you stick your fingers in your ears, play lullaby music, and rock yourself to sleep in difficult circumstances does not make him or his call and requirement go away. And, and just a dovetail on your dovetail. When Jonah goes into the hold of the boat, hold of the boat which... The Hebrew indicates is the the lowest possible service in the boat. Joe's, uh, uh, Jonah rather has has gone away from God. He's gone down, 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 down to Joppa, down into the ship, down to the bottom of the boat, and later on he'll be down to the depths of the sea. Um, he is trying as far as he can to run away from God, and the key phrase that is repeated here in the first chapter is from the presence of the Lord from the presence of the Lord, several times repeated, as if you could flee from the presence of the Lord. But wherever you flee, God is still there. God is, 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 you can't run away from God. All things are before him. All things are before him. You know, so I don't know what has to happen in a person's heart other than a recognition and an admittance of saying, okay, God, let's follow, I'll, I'll follow you. Uh, let's, let's go on from there. In verse six, uh, the captain Captain, the captain comes. He says, no, this is representative of the main authority on the, the boat. The main authority. He says, the captain approached him and said, how is it that you are sleeping? Get up and call on your God. Now, the Hebrew actually says, what? You're sleeping? You know, or something like that, you know. Um, now you get to the point where now Jonah is being addressed directly. This last time that Jonah was addressed directly was by God. God says, arise, get up, go to Nineveh, Right. And cry out, it's the same word that's being used here, get up and call on your God in verse 6, same word. It's as if Jonah is woken from this bad dream and his eyes are blurry 
and he hears the word get up and cry. The same two words that God said in verse verse 2 to go to Nineveh. God saying to to the, to Jonah, <laughs> I, st- I still see you. He hears the resonance of the voice of God yeah. through the voice of the captain. Yeah. The authority of this particular boat that he has paid for to get away from uh, God. Uh, if, if you're looking at verse number 6, it's interesting because there's certain ways in Hebrew to ask a question. And uh, this question would suggest some offense in the asker. In other words, the asker or the individual um, 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 presenting this rhetorical question is quite offended or bothered or, or taken back, thinking, how would it be possible in the midst of these circumstances for you not to know this? It's the same kind of sense that the disciples have for Jesus when they say, how could you be sleeping? Don't you care that we perish? Right, right. And they're a bit There's, ticked yeah. that Jesus would be in a peaceful state while it looks like they're all going to die. Right. That same sense is present here in this text, except whereas Jesus was not guilty of not caring, Jonah simply is oblivious and doesn't yes, care. Seemingly. Yeah, he's like, how can you sleep? I mean, don't you get... Don't. It's interesting that in... Um, in Isaiah, he describes his prodigal prophet in Isaiah 42. He says, Who is blind but my servant, or deaf as my messenger whom I send? And and it's as if Jonah is so checked out, he's so oblivious, he does so doesn't care what other people are going through. And the captain has to say, How could you get up? Cry on your God. Perhaps he will be gracious to us. Perhaps he will give thought to us, you know? I mean, you get to the point. Listen, here's here's the situation. When you get to the point when 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 the world begs you to pray, <laughs> now think about that. You know, uh, uh, when the when the guy of the world, when the Gentile, when the unbeliever, when the pagan says, "Can you please pray?" You know, things are getting so bad. They're asking, begging you to pray because they know that things. That now I don't know about you, but that tells me something about you know. Obviously, you know Jonah in his in his state of mind that he has to have people begging him to pray because their prayers haven't worked thus far. Otherwise, you know, the sea would be calm and anything else. But no, they're, now they finally find this man who's now sleeping, you know, he's, he's probably curled up in a blanket. He's probably so comfortable and he's, you know, just checked out. Maybe he's listening to iTunes or something like that. And he, he doesn't care. And they're asking him, would you please pray? Ask your God. Maybe your God will give us thought and and help us here. You know, there's a desperation of this man. You know what, John? As much as I've gone over this book and you and I have interacted uh, in this book, I saw something for the first time that I had not seen before. What did you say? The captain basically in this terse phrase summates the dilemma of the entire book. Yeah. And in this phrase, in in verse number six, perhaps your God, so call on your God, perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. That's exactly what he doesn't want to happen. Yeah. Uh, for the Ninevites, yeah. the Assyrians. Now, he, of course, he wouldn't want these Gentiles who were in the boat carrying him away from the presence of God to perish. But this captain has, unbeknownst to him, summed up exactly what God has called him to do, to speak to the Ninevites so that they will not perish. And it's exactly his concern and fear as articulated from his own mouth. You know, it's, 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 that's an excellent point. 
that's interesting is, and I'm I'm gonna approach this from sort of a different angle. Sometimes we as Christians, we as believers, doubt the um, the willingness of people to hear the message, uh, or maybe we doubt uh, that the person we're supposed to tell about Jesus is going to want to hear about Jesus, right? Um, in in both the the captain's words here and also the response of the Ninevites later on in the book, they're already receptive. They're ready. They just need somebody to tell them the truth, right? They just need somebody to tell yes. them. Yes. Whereas we as Christians, we often, at least here in America, maybe in other countries it's different, oftentimes we don't think people want to hear the message or are ready, but God has already prepared their hearts. Here, Jonah is going to go into Nineveh, speak a few words, and he has the greatest revival in, in what the Old Testament, as far as I understand, um, of unbelievers turning to, to God, um, that they still celebrate... Uh, um, today. Today. Um, they have a three-day celebration in, um, in commemoration of when uh, I am saved the Assyrians, the Ninevites, from um, um, imminent destruction. So, Mike, I guess my point is, as a believer, sometimes we think, oh, they're not going to want to listen. Here, they're begging, please tell us, how do I be saved? Please tell us, um, w- w- maybe your God will be concerned. Perhaps, you know, the indication of, we're not certain, but maybe he'll have grace and, pay, and, and show us kindness, you know, you know, and, and, uh, and, and help us out here, you know? And to be sure, here is a physiological um, deliverance, a desire to be rescued from the consequences of this storm, right. to save their very lives, literally. But later on, the, with the Ninevites, the idea is we don't want to be destroyed by another nation either, or by a cataclysmic act ensued by an all-powerful deity. Um, and so in both cases, you're absolutely correct that there is a ripeness of heart and soul right. that has been a, a um, precursor of preparation, See, if you will. And that's the thing is, you know, think about Jesus talking, you know, in, in John 4, he says, you know, after the woman at the well, and and, and uh, Jesus says later on, you know, behold, um, it's John, John 4, right? Yes. Behold, the, the fields are ripe, you know. Uh, is that John 4? Oh, no, that's not John I'm 4. Sorry, John the fields are ripe, yeah. but the lady at the well is John, John 4. I'm not thinking about John 4. It's the fields are ripe for harvest. I forget the chapter now. My brain's going, whatever. Maybe it's the heat in Arizona. It's going to be, you know, you know <laughs> planes can't fly at 122 degrees, you know. and Theologues can't think at one point. Where Jesus says, you know, beseech the, 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 the Lord to send out workers for the harvest, right? For they're, they're ripe. The, the, the fields are ready, right? The point is this, is... We're th- we think our job is to get the fields ripe. That's job. That's God's job. God does the preparation in a person's heart to draw a person. Listen, it's not your seal. It's not my argumentation or your argumentation that wins souls to Jesus, right? Correct. That's not our job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Our job is just to broadcast the message, right? Is just to declare it, and the Holy Spirit does His work. God's Jesus says. You know, unless the father draws them, you know, they can't come to him anyway. So, my point is here: these sailors are have been prepared um, to call out on God. The Ninevites are going to be ripe, ready for that. All Jonah has to do is declare the words, you know. Correct. And there you go, you know. But of course, you know he's checked out. Now, I want to point something out in verse six 
he asked the this the captain asks the fir- there's 12 questions in the book of Jonah. Um, and this is the first one. What are you doing? How could you sleep there basically? You know what what are, are you, do you don't you care, you know? Um, and I think as we read Jonah and we see these questions and of course the sailors are going to ask some questions as well. And later on, God's going to ask God, uh, uh, Jonah a series of questions. These questions are going to be used uh, really as a way of reaching and teaching people who are, uh, who are reading as well, uh, directing us to say, where am I in the story? Where am I in, in these questions that God is asking? And, and the first question, of course, is, "What? how could you sleep? We're perishing. How could you sleep? We're perishing. We're, 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 um, we're needing help. Can you please call on your God for us? Absolutely. By the way, that reference earlier that you were talking about was in Matthew 9. Matthew 9. Matthew, John, you know, they kind of... <laughs> they all come they together. They all go together. They're all, yeah, <laughs> they're all gospel, you know. Anyway, you get the point, right? Absolutely. Okay, so um, he says in verse 7, Each man said to his mate, Come, let us cast lots so that we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Now that introduces something a little bit new. It does indeed, because lots in the ancient Near East were a means by which individuals um, sought to know the revealed will of a deity. Um, And this is not just something that is um, done in um, non-covenant Israeli society. This is also something that's done in covenantal Israeli society, right? Um, uh, We see this... um, to a degree in the Urim and Thummim that's worn by the priest, that it becomes a means by which the will of God is ascertained by the high priest. Yeah. Um, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I wasn't referring to that. No, 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 no. <laughs> the casting of lots is a, new, is a new thing here. Right. It's a new thing in the my, book. My question is is uh, backed up a little bit here. Oh. But you continue with your um and thum, you know, and... and <laughs> Basically, yeah, the, the way of determining God's will. Yes, it, yeah. culturally, it would have been a means by which they would have sought to ascertain the the will of God, right? Um, either a false deity or I am within a covenantal framework. Uh, in fact, we even see this kind of behavior in the New Testament in the book of Acts when the um, apostles, 11 in number in chapter 1, are seeking to replace the post left vacant by uh, Judas, and they cast lots. Yeah. Uh, so they're not. Uh, this is a, a, a an act that is occurring here, and this act can seem quite odd, but it was done in both non-believing and believing society in the ancient Near East, and God was pleased through this circumstance of lot casting to, in fact, not acquiesce to. Um, um, the the thoughts of diviners or sorcerers or things of that nature, but to govern and control this yeah. through his sovereign will and his providential direction. And in this particular case, these lots are going to be under his providential sovereign direction. He's going to thereby point out the guilty party. Okay, that's that was a great excursus of the lots and all that. I cut my lo- my my theology of lots short because you were trying to make a different <laughs> well, point. So my, go ahead. My, my question is 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 they have two assumptions here. Mm-hmm. 
their 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 first assumption that that this is a supernaturally sent storm, right? Like this isn't a you know a high pressure system in Phoenix is causing the 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 dry air to stay and become hot or something like that. I don't know. They're assuming that the re- there's that there's a that that there's a reason for the storm that it's sent by a deity, right? That's the first assumption, right? What's the other assumption? That the storm is a direct result of somebody's actions. Correct. So that was the question I was asking: is 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 they come they're coming at and say, let's cast slouch to find out whose fault this is, why this calamity, and actually the word actually there is evil, which we'll mm-hmm. point out in a second, why this calamity or evil has struck us, and so they're coming from a saying, this is not a normal storm. That's the first assumption, and secondly. This is a result of somebody's actions. Whose fault is this? That's interesting because I don't know about you. There's times that when things, when bad things happen to, to people, let's say, or things happen in life, storms in life, trials, whatever. I don't know about you. Me, naturally, my first thought is, what did I do wrong? Yes. You know, yes. I mean, that's a human, maybe that's a human you know, reasoning is like, oh, I must have done something wrong because if I didn't do something wrong, then this wouldn't have happened. Right. You know, there's a direct correlation between... Oh, bad events because of bad people, right? But read the book of Job. You know, Job, you're suffering because you must have done something bad. Well, within the, the, the framework of the biblical text, there's this idea that kind of floats in the background. Bad things happen to guilty people, right? right. But then there's also this um, um, superstitious uh, mariner's um, uh, thinking that suggests that there is a direct correlation betwixt storms and the guilty, right? right. Uh, for instance, when you have the first storm in the Bible, Genesis 6 through 8, and of course the whole narrative is Genesis 6 through 9, right. but the first... Noah. Right. The first massive storm came as a result of wickedness, right. wherein the sea, which is presented in Genesis 1 as a force of chaos, yeah. um, a literally was used as an instrument of judgment against humanity overall, and God saved only eight people. But then you look throughout the framework of how the sea is viewed in the prophets. And remember, this is one of the 12, this particular book. And then you look throughout the framework of scripture. You even go into the New Testament again. And when when Paul escapes the storm, and the sea, right. that people immediately think, hey, you know, because the snake bit yep. him, obviously... Obviously, this man's a murderer. Y- exactly. Which so, he kind of was before Christ. <laughs> correct. <laughs> you know? so, so their thinking here is consistent with the superstitious slash religious thinking yeah. of a Judeo society and a secular religious society who saw a correlation betwixt the sea and individuals who were guilty. But you, but you know they were right, though. They were indeed right. They were, I mean, and, and, and you know, my question, next question is, well, does that still continue today? I mean, I mean are there, is, are there times when you're going through, through, through something because... A direct result of bad, you know, bad decisions, or maybe not bad decisions, because yeah, um, or because God has sent a storm to prevent you going through you know, any further. Are there examples of that, you know? And it's hard to know because you know Jonah did know because he knew directly. He says, "Listen, I know because of me." He says later on that the storm has come. Right? You know, there's no guessing. I was told by God to give this message. I ran away from God. God sent the storm immediately after that. Yeah, I can put two and two together. 
if you're having to guess at why a storm has come to your life, then I don't think it's a direct result. If you're having to guess and wonder, gee whiz, God, did I turn left when I should turn right? That's kind of torturous, you know? There's times you're going through storms in life that has nothing to do with you. These sailors are going through a storm that because of somebody else. Well, in many ways today, I'm giving kind of a theological summation of how things are viewed in, in the overall yeah. text of Scripture. Yeah. And, and again, let me suggest, when individuals encounter problems, first of all, I think we need to speak probably in three categories, possibly four, but I'll summate it in three. First of all, there's the Genesis 3 effect. And every yeah. person should understand, as a result of being in a fallen world, storms happen. Right. Okay? And that doesn't mean that you are directly guilty of a sin, but you certainly have indirect involvement in so much as you are connected, Romans 5, with Adam. So storms are going to happen in everyone's life, and it may not, in fact, be directly connected to an immediate event wherein the party experiencing it is guilty. But then there's a second reason, and I don't need to go into that one at great length. There's the guilty party who knows as a result of what they've done, there is a storm that they are involved in, right? And and, and that's quite clear. But then there's the third aspect, which is uh, given to us in the book of Job and given to us, frankly, in other aspects of scripture. And that is, there are storms in a person's life that are not associated with guilt, but they're associated with God's glory, right? right? Um, John 9, this man is not born blind because he did something wrong, but this is for the glory of God. And so what we should be cognizant of is when, if you're looking for the guilty factor. How do I know? Again, you pointed out in um, Johannine speak uh, earlier in the book, in the gospel of John, that the idea um, is that the Holy Spirit will convict and convince the world of sin and righteousness. God doesn't want you guessing, and he's not sitting on the throne suggesting, well, I wonder if he or she is really going to get it. Let's see how long it takes them to get it. No, he wants you to come back into fellowship with him, so he'll be very quick to tell you before, during, and after what the sin was. I think I think one way to really also approach it as well is what's the effect of the storm? Is if the effect of the storm in your life is that you're running from God, or is the effect that you're running to God? Does the storm cause you to cry out to your God? Does the storm ca- cause you to be on your knees and to draw near to God? Right. Um, God's desire is for you to draw near to Him anyway. You know? Yes. Uh, if you're in a storm in life and circumstances where you're constantly trying to run further and further, further away from God, and the storm keeps getting, <laughs> and it's more intense, you know, it's then that that tells you something, you know. Um, so I think that the storm can be used by God for either way. Preferably that though, if the storm happens in your life. It's there for whatever reason, you know. If it's causing you to draw near to God, then appreciate that storm, because sometimes it's in the midst of the deep of the storms of life, the hardest storms of life, where you are drawn near to God, where the intimacy of, uh, with you in Christ happens that you would not have experienced outside on 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 on, uh, on the smooth sailing and the smooth waters, you know. Um, there's times when you and I, CL, have gone individually. You've gone through storms of life. I've gone through storms of life. And those storms, those trials or circumstances where we have cried out to God, where you, you would not trade that storm for anything, you know, because you would say, God was with me when I walked, when I was traveling in these rough waters. Uh, whoever the reason why the rough waters came, 
I learned something of the Lord that I would not have learned if it was smooth sailing the whole time. So in one sense, um, if there's a storm in your life, are you drawing near to God? Are you drawing strength in God? Are you crying out to God and pleading with God and praying to God and trying your best to follow God? The storm may still continue, but you're strong. But you know who your strength comes from. Your strength comes to the Lord Himself. If the storm is in your life and it's causing you to track it out even further, then that should get your attention as well. Because maybe God's trying to get your attention through the storm. Yeah, I, I'd just like to say in in summation, John, um, in verse five. The text says, then the sailors became afraid. Every man cried to his God. And in verse 6, so the captain approached him. In verse 7, each man said to his mate. The idea is, if you're in that second storm, the storm where you know you're guilty, it would be appropriate for you to realize it's not just raining on you. Uh your boat is not the only thing that's breaking apart. There are other people that are affected by this. And your responsibility is not to try to mitigate their peace amidst your disobedience and try to manage that, as it were. You need to realize something, that uh, the storm that you're in is affecting, hurting, scaring causing great concern in the lives of others. Now, God is not trying to be crude or rude or, or cold or crass in this. But the idea is there is a connectivity, not only with our intimacy with God in obedience or disobedience, but also our intimacy and effect upon others concerning our obedience to God. And here's my suggestion. If there are people crying in your life, if your wife or your husband or your children are crying out and they're afraid, don't try to manage their fear. Get on your face before God and find out why is it that my family is in a moment of terror right now? Why are they so afraid? Uh, if you're in a situation where people are saying to you, cry out to God. Uh, don't try to figure out another means or methodology by which you can make it through this storm. Um, if the weight on the boat is being caused by you, don't start tossing other things out. Uh, you can't throw money at this or throw time at the other. God is trying to get to you, not what's in your hand and not what's on your boat, but you. Uh, and if you're in a situation where God is starting to allow his indicators to point directly to you, fess up to it, admit it, talk to God, because the storm is not there to destroy you. It's only there as a means by which God can communicate with you. And the pain in your life is God dialing on the phone saying, hey, pick up. Can we talk? Thank you again for listening to Living Truth with John Corr and C.L. Mitchell. If you would like to hear this podcast again or previous episodes, you may do so at passionforhisword.com. That's passionforhisword.com. You may also like us on Facebook at Living Truth Radio Broadcast. That's Living Truth Radio Broadcast. Again, our prayer for you is that God would sanctify you in truth, for His Word is truth.